There are increasing concerns when a patient's required to switch medications for any non-medical reason, in particular medications used to treat chronic conditions like diabetes. That was Dr. Frank Lavernia, who has an internal medicine and diabetes practice in Delray Beach, Florida. He's a member of the Alliance for Patient Access Diabetes Therapy Access Working Group and our guest on today's AFPA Patient Access Podcast. I'm Mike Walsh. Dr. Lavernia, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, let's jump right in here. The topic of insulin affordability seems to be making a lot of headlines these days. Without getting into the weeds, why do you think insulin is becoming increasingly less affordable for patients? Well, Mike, you know, this issue of insulin affordability is a little bit complicated. Historically, it started back in 1921 when two men, Frederick Banton and Charles Best out of the University of Toronto, discovered insulin. And they also had an associate, James Collip, who purified the insulin, and they all three later sold a patent to the University of Toronto for one Canadian dollar, that it was a to total of three dollars, with the intent that affordable insulin would become available quickly. However, over the years, improvements had been made in their original formula, and multiple new patents had been issued to several other companies. So at this time, there's truly no generic form of insulin. There are biosimilar insulins that have uh, uh, the FDA has recently approved. Uh, so going back, the pharmaceutical companies who own these patents uh, still have significant pricing power. And if we fast forward to 2020, it's projected that the global insulin market is going to top $48 billion, American dollars. So the cost of the patients continues to rise and of the people requiring insulin and those that are, who are uninsured or underinsured or who require large total daily doses are taking the biggest financial hit. So it's easy to uh, blame or target and blame the pharmaceutical companies for increasing their selling prices due to manufacturing costs increases and health insurance plan discounts. But all of this information is remaining confidential and we can't quantify it. On the other hand, my concern is that the drug companies do not make a profit. Then what happens for the future of research and development and who funds this? And anybody that knows the historical aspect, this kind of already has happened in Western Europe where socialized medicine is forcing a lot of the R&D to shut down. So yeah, the pharmaceutical company sets the prices for a vial or, and or an insulin pen, which is what we call the average wholesale price. And uh, we begin the story of the middlemen, the in intermediaries which include drug wholesalers and distributors, pharmacy benefit managers that I'm going to start using the acronym PBMs, health plans, large retail pharmacy chains. And these middlemen who represent the large groups of ultimate consumers all do their best to negotiate price discounts from the pharmaceutical companies. That makes sense, right, Mike? It does. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers really have a direct impact on the affordability of insulin. I'd love to take a little deeper dive into the two points you mentioned. Um, first, affordability. Can you talk more specifically about 
how the patients end up getting saddled with the higher out-of-pocket cost as a result of these PBMs? Yeah, so let, let's zero in for a second on the PBMs. They often work on behalf of commercial and government-run health plans to negotiate drug prices. Uh, there are regulations already for Medicaid and VA plans that ensure that the prices can't rise above a certain level. But the PBMs conduct comparative drug research and develop formularies, which are basically tiered lists of the exact prescription drugs which are covered by a particular health plan. This is where the PBMs have a lot of negotiating power. Insulin that costs the plan the least will land on a lower tier on the formulary and have a cheaper copay. Patients are swayed by lower copays, and drug manufacturers offer PBMs big discounts to make their insulin more attractive. So they may even have an additional discount to better position their drug against competitors. So their drug ends up in a lower tier while their competitors is on a higher tier with higher copays. So back to your your question, many people that are purchasing health plans with high deductibles in the range of let's say five to six thousand a year, and many of those don't even cover drugs. This means that they will be paying the full price of insulin just like the people who do not have insurance. In addition, when insurance does cover insulin, the co-pays and co-insurance percentages are rising to meet the increased cost of these drugs. So out of the pocket costs for insulin increased by 89% in the last decade, that is between 2000 and 2010. That's incredible. So tell me, what impact does this have on patients' ability to manage their, their condition? So unfortunately, this leads to rationing of insulin by the patient. We have two major groups of people with diabetes. You've got the type 1s, or what we used to call the juvenile diabetics, diabetic person with diabetes that requires the use of insulin to live. And the type 2s, which is the adult onset diabetes, where most patients require some insulin assistance to keep their diabetes under control. So the type 2 encompass approximately 90% of all people with diabetes. So what happens to some of these patients that uh, are rationing? And uh, it can lead to a condition called diabetic ketoacidosis. This is mostly seen in type 1s, but it's not uncommon in type 2s. But here's the crux of the problem. This condition requires emergency care to stabilize and save the patient's life. This is costly and requires days in the hospital under intensive care by multiple healthcare providers. So this is very expensive to take care of when upfront we ration it. Dr. Lavernia, there's a related topic that people with diabetes are upset about, and that's called non-medical switching, right? This is where the health plan changes its rules about which drugs or devices it covers or how it covers them. And that can drive people with diabetes to have to change medications uh, unexpectedly. How do you see this impacting your patient population? Yeah, well, Mike, you know, first of all, non-medical switching refers to a change in medication in a patient who's stable on his or her current regimen to a chemically similar alternative, not a generic, for non-medical reasons. That is not related to lack of clinical efficacy or response 
or side effects or poor adherence. So this is related uh, to the health insurance company's formulary, and it's often termed formulary-driven switching, which is implemented in an attempt to reduce the cost of certain prescription drugs. There are increasing concerns when a patient's required to switch medications for any non-medical reason, in particular medications used to treat chronic conditions like diabetes. It may negatively impact patient outcomes, medication taken behavior, specifically adherence or compliance, and healthcare utilization. This is not a great idea. And that's forced switching that doesn't have approval from the physician or the patient? That's correct. Wow, that's incredible. All right, let's talk a minute about a practice that seems to be becoming a lot more frequent, but isn't making as much noise in the news as you'd expect. Could you explain to us um, what's happening with the pharmacy's distribution of insulin pens in the last few months? Yeah, you know, I had a few patients uh, that begin to, uh, began to share the story with me, and it apparently is becoming more frequent. Uh, where there's rationing of insulin pens going on at the pharmacy. So I decided to go over to my local Walmart where the pharmacist confirmed that they were breaking up the pen packets and handing out one pen at a time. I, I just cannot see patients going back to the pharmacy two or three times a week. Uh, these are patients that need to use a lot of insulin due to underlying insulin resistance, so they require quite a bit of insulin. It's disruptive to their work. They may have uh, transportation problems. Uh, it leads to non-adherence and higher costs for their medicines. And in turn, they lose control due to the rationing from the pharmacy, not from themselves. And it can lead to complications of diabetes, specifically as we spoke before, as to uh, uh, diabetes ketoacidosis or just losing control of their diabetes. All right, my friend, we're going to end with a lightning round. I'm going to give you 20 seconds and one sentence to answer each of these following questions. Number one, if you didn't work in diabetes care, what would you be doing for a career? Well, stupid me at one time thought I was going to be a professional tennis player. So I always had that dream to go into uh, being a professional tennis player. Wow. Do you get a chance to get out there much? Oh, yeah. Three times a week. Just old men's doubles. Good for you. Good for you. Now, you've been on numerous television and radio programs, I'm aware. Who's your favorite t uh, television or radio personality? Well, I don't watch too much TVs. I, I, I really enjoy documentaries. So a good documentary, history or current, uh, I, I like to uh, watch. What's the best documentary you've seen as of late? Uh, it's, uh, the ones I've been seeing are the, what happened in Vietnam. Those are excellent. Now, if you could change one thing about diabetes management, what would it be? Adherence. This is the biggest problem we have is uh, patient adherence. Uh, uh, they're just not staying on their diabetes medications for more than four or six months. It's, it's unbelievable. And it sounds like the risks there are, are go beyond just medical, right? They're also uh, cost and financial. It sounds like lose-lose all the way around non-compliance non and adherence. Everybody loses. Tell me, finally, what's the best part of living in South Florida? Oh, for sure is the winters. We're, we're getting ready here to have our winter season, and it's very nice down here. 
I can imagine. In South, in South Florida. Dr. Lavernia, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me.